Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take side quests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So, sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning, Slava. And all these unruly adventurers on today's episode of SideQuest. How's your week been? Nope. We ask a different question. I forgot. What emotionally moved you this week? What emotionally moved me this week? Honestly, the second half of the book we're discussing, which we won't discuss until next episode. Uh, I was... Tell the adventurers you got ahead. Fine. I, I nope. got ahead, mm-hmm. and I'm going to say chapter 19 to 22, I was emotionally moved. <clears throat> there was a lot of good stuff happening. I was, um, and I'll say this for next episode, so mm-hmm. stay tuned. I was pleasantly surprised. Maybe I shouldn't be, but I didn't expect it to move me the way it did based on the genre. It's like, this is, you know, anime in book form, mm-hmm. and it was, it was very... Um, enjoyable to finish the book that's that's what i want to hear did you well first i guess i should answer the same question what emotionally moved me this week um i think i just made a new decision actually last night um we have so much work to do right now and it wouldn't be unreasonable this is the level of work we have it would not be unreasonable for us to not get some of it done. I think I decided last night I won't be proud of myself if I don't get it done because I know that I could get it done if I just really knuckle down and watch my schedule better during the workday because it's just like, ugh, it's a lot of work. And I'm just being, I'm feeling this internal petulance, I guess, of like, ugh, it's just so much work and this just keeps like, but it's a startup, right? So like, there's going to be a lot of, quick shifts and pivots and whatever. So that's something that emotionally moved me where I was like, it's really not that much work. I think I'm just being a child. It is Mm -hmm. a lot of work. But how do I say this? I know based on all of my years of work and entrepreneurship and trying to build businesses that I have a a larger capacity for workloads than other people. And that's not a gloat. It's just like how I have, it's a muscle that I've grown and anybody can grow it. it. I'm not unique because of this. It's just the state of where I'm at. And so, like, I know the amount of work that's available, or or I know the amount of work that's ahead, and it's a lot for a two-person department. But I think I made the decision last night to go, why don't I just see this as a challenge and just, like, try and do all of it? Because, like, I could. I could go, oh, well, I don't want to do this. I'm just going to, like, forget about it. But I literally know that I'm not. You know when you have that internal monologue where you're like, I'm going to purposefully, like, "Eh, I don't have to do that because I know that we have too much to do, and it'll be, like, oh, hey, we forgive you because we know there's a lot. And it's like, no, I, I won't. It's like a Linden moment, right? Like, are you really going to be proud of yourself? Well, it's more of a Yaren moment, actually. Are you going to be proud of yourself if you don't do absolutely everything you can? And the answer is no. So that emotionally moved me, and it was something that I rediscovered about myself where it's like, don't take the coward's way out. Don't be like, oh, I don't want to wash the floors because, you know, we're supposed to do it every night, but eh, 
I'm late. And it's like, no, that's what you're getting paid for. If you don't like it, get a new job. Be the best. Be excellent. Do absolutely everything you can. That's more Yaren and Linda. Anyway. Yes. That's, that's definitely what I, more Yaren. That's, uh, that's what emotionally moved me this week, last night, whatever. I feel your gold sign tingling. Please don't tingle my gold sign. Currently, and this is going to release after the Kickstarter is done, but Will is currently selling his special editions of books four, five, and six on Kickstarter. And if we get to a million, he's going to have to make a map of Cradle, which is super exciting. We are at 982,970. Yeah, I, I saw the, the reel of him bitching about how he doesn't want to make the map. Mm-hmm. But now he's going to have to make a map. So I hope so. We've got six days to make, I think it's what, $17,000? That's easy. Yeah, basically $17,000. I am really hoping that that happens because I think it'd be just fancy to get a map. But because he's doing this, you know that there's going to be two more sets of this because he does it in sets of three. So... This is up through book six, and there's 12 books in the series. So, yep. yeah. Anyway, that is what is going on this week. Let's dive in. But before we dive in, I need all you unruly adventurers to halt and make sure you smash that subscribe button so you never miss a podcast. You don't want to lose out on all the treasure that lies ahead. Indeed. All right, good people. We're going to do a quick overview of Cradle and of Black Flame, because we haven't been here in a while. But the book we're discussing today is Black Flame. It's the third book in a series of 12 by Will White, good old American author of fantasy and literature, best known for the series we're discussing, the Cradle series. Uh, White is noted for taking inspiration from Xianxia uh, and Wuxia, Chinese literature. The former means immortal heroes, the latter means martial heroes, quite literally. That's how it's translated. And it's part of what I've come to really enjoy, thanks to Jonathan, progression fantasy. So Xianxia is heavily inspired by Chinese mythology, influenced by philosophies like Taoism, Chan Buddhism, Chinese martial arts, traditional medicine, folk, religion, alchemy, all things Chinese. Wuxia is a specific genre of Chinese fiction concerning the adventures of martial artists in ancient China. And although Wuxia is traditionally a form of historical fantasy literature, its popularity has caused it to be adapted into Chinese opera, film, muanhua, comics, which is Chinese manga, and television and video games. If you read the Cradle series, you'll notice this. Both are set in quasi-historical ancient China, featuring larger-than-life human protagonists and the struggles between good and evil. The one thing to note, the main difference is that Xianxia is generally much more metaphysical in its themes, but more on that when we get into the themes. For those who don't know, in the world of Cradle, Wei Shi Linden lives begin as an unsold a pariah who is forbidden from pursuing the path of the sacred arts, the source of power for the inhabitants of this realm. But Linden's faith is not one he's willing to accept. After a visit from a celestial being named Serial, he embarks on an extraordinary journey of self-discovery. 
And along the way, he encounters formidable adversaries, forges deep and unlikely alliances, and unearths ancient secrets that could reshape the very fabric of his world. And we are in the third book of this journey. That's true. So far, we've seen Lyndon escape his hometown, which, if you've never done that, you really should. That's personal advice for you. And uh, feel free to at me in the comments. Especially if you have a family like his. There's there's just no better time to mm. just go deuces. Mm-hmm. I have other things to do and people to see. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I've done that before. So have I. No, I, I think one thing that drew me to Lyndon, and I never mentioned this in our discussions from the previous two books, but his decision to go endeared me to him mm-hmm. as a character. Just a, a just a layer of everything that I like or dislike about Lyndon, and we'll, we'll talk about both. Uh, but there, in that moment, I was like, "All right, you go, Lyndon. That this is yeah, just just peace out. Like this is not a place for you to grow or flourish as a yeah. as a as a person. Like his clan is a bunch of you know douche nozzles, bunch of ninnies. Go read Unsold. I think it's super important to have these moments in our lives where we do fly the coop because environment is such a huge factor. Like you can certainly do the emotional or like will focused reps to make sure that you have a strong will. Like it's possible. Like you're a strong willed person. I'm a strong willed person. I know other strong willed people. And then I know weak willed people. So like it's, it's not, I don't think anyone is born inherently. Well, that's also not true because I, I do know people that are born inherently with a strong will. But it's something, like most things, that you can grow if you really put time into it. Now, you have to be comfortable making people upset. But if you change your environment, you can change your whole freaking world. Like, you can ascend to the greatest potential that you have. And we'll talk about this a little bit when we discuss Lyndon. It's funny how people are born with certain innate things, and some things are not so innate. They have to work on them. Whatever... I was born with really helped me manure the waters, maneuver the waters. Manure the waters. Not manure the waters. I I didn't shit myself in any waters. Mm. Manure, (laughs) maneuver, goodness gracious, maneuver the waters that was my family. There was no flight. There was always fight. And that strong will that you just mentioned helped me survive those things. Where I had to work on myself is discipline being consistent in certain efforts like college, seminary, oh yeah, career and learning how to maybe curb my enthusiasm when it comes to that will cuz not always walking around with the middle finger sticking out like mm-hmm. that little meme, the little dude of the meme, like the hand-drawn guy who's just like flipping the bird to everybody, pulling that back a little bit because not everybody needs a punch in the face. Um but for so long, I was just walking around fighting. A line that describes Aaron like she was, uh, what was this? Let me, I wrote it down. Yaren looked like she was raised in a never-ending knife fight. And that was for me. That was my childhood. And so going into adulthood, realizing by God's grace, like, hey, I can't always just walk around, you know, like I am in a knife fight. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's out to get me. Maybe in my family, and even then... I was a child. Who the hell knows what I was doing, right or wrong? You know, yeah. sometimes I was wrong. Anyway. A chip on your shoulder the size of a boulder. Yeah. Yep. I think that's part of growing up, honestly. Anyway, 
Quick review, Lyndon in Unsold escapes his hometown. In Soulsmith, Lyndon finds himself in what seems to be the Brave New World. Turns out it's actually just another podunk town that happens to have a little more commerce. He finds good graces with a mysterious character named Ethan, who takes him and Yaren under his wing to adopt them into this very powerful family, who on the scope of things, seems very powerful. I don't know another word to use there. So we're going we're gonna to pull up all the vocabulary today. Anyway, that's where he comes from. Now we've zoomed out just a little bit further where he's in the Black Flame Empire, which owned all of the things that he has been through so far. Now for the first half of the book. So Lyndon, yeah, that happens at the end of the book too, right? Yeah, 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 okay. I had to think for a second. So Lyndon, at the end of book two, is, he killed Jai Crawl. Is that how I say his name? Jai Crawl? I think hey. so, yeah. Um, which was the son of the the one of the Jai clans. And he... <laughs> that didn't go over well. Um, the only reason he's not dead is because Ethan said, You know what? I've adopted him, but you can fight him in a year. And then swept him away to try to train him in the year to see if he makes it. Now, that's a really short time frame. Especially if this person is already leaps ahead of you. Because at the moment, Lyndon is only an iron. Or is he Jade? Did he get up to Jade? No, he's an iron. When, yeah. he, when he kills Crawl, he's an iron. That's right. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Because so right he, before he kills him, he's uh, screaming in caves as Ethan trains him. Right. Air right. quotes. <laughs> yeah. Let me train you here. Get bit by this venomous snake again. So he has one year to train for his fight with Jai Long. And no one really believes he can win. He doesn't believe he can win. Ethan's kind of like, well, we'll see. I hope, but eh, I don't know. But the first thing that Ethan does is he needs Lyndon to pick a path. Now, Lyndon has two cores, two of which he can train. He doesn't really have time to train the second one. Because he needs to get the first one up to snuff. But while they're doing their training, or before he does his training, Ethan brings him to a part of the Black Flame Empire that has this like secret library. And in the library, there's this, it's an orb, I think, if I recall. And it's got all of these paths. And Lyndon just gets to flip through it like an a la carte menu. Like, which one do you want to learn? And he's like, oh man, I could probably beat Jai Long with this one and this one and this one. And then every time Ethan responds with, well, you could, and I'll support you if you do. However, here are the downfalls against whatever. And this is one of the parts that I think Will White shines with his creativity. Because he had to think up each one of those. Mm -hmm. There's not a book that he can go to and go, oh, well, this, this. And this, when he's writing this book, now he's 12 books deep. But when he's writing, this is book three. And he has to like, okay, I need to now give Lyndon let's say, like, eight options, nine options, and it's, like, each one of them, he knows which one he wants him to pick. That he's already decided. But he needs, like, another eight to make the world feel real. So it's, like, where did he get his inspiration from? Anyway, we can talk about that in a minute. I'm supposed to be giving a plot summary. So he picks Black Flame, which is exactly where Ethan wanted him to go, and we will see this. This is just, like, a character theme. Ethan will present you with options. However... The option that he wants you to take, you'll end up taking because it's the best option for you and for him, even if you don't know that yet. 
Ethan loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which is really funny. So part of his Black Flame training, he goes and meets the last remaining dragon of the Black Flame Empire. Orthos. Orthos. Oh, my gosh. My favorite turtle. My favorite. Yes, my favorite turtle. He, oh, man, Orthos is just a riot. Thankfully, Orthos will be with us in the series for a while until he isn't, but um, not because he dies. So we'll just leave it at that. But he will be with us for a while. He has some of the best one-liners. I use a lot of his one-liners for working out or self-motivation. I have art that I've created that is relevant to this book. It's um, it's a three-piece mural. That's The first one is an image of the dragon advances, the dragon destroys, the dragon conquers. It's in the art style of this same guy who did my Dalinar quote. So it's not like the characters themselves. It's a character that's unique to this guy who's a friend of mine and my girlfriend's, he did a great job. Big fan of it. But I, like, look at this, and I confront myself to go, am I willing to do the work? Even like I said earlier, am I willing to do the work? Because I know I can, um, which is another reason I love progression fantasy. Anyway, back to Orthos. Orthos has been going mad. His Madra channels have been corrupted because of Black Flame, because it's so powerful that it ends up end up it ends up corrupting your, your Madra channels. So, Ethan gives... Orthos and Linden kind of an opportunity with each other again for Linden to do what Ethan wants to help clear Orthos Madras channels by becoming a sacred beast pairing, making a spirit contract. Is that what? Yeah, exactly. That's about it. Yeah, where they bind their souls together so Orthos can help give Linden more power and give him a boost. It also gives them some interesting additional skills where, or I don't even know if I call it a skill. But they can sense each other, and they can yeah. sense how each other's feeling and know where they, the other person's at, which could be really useful. But this is going to help get Lyndon to Jade. Then, <laughs> Ethan, as he does, brings them to the Black Flame training ground, which has been locked down by the entity that's larger than Ethan's family, the Black Flame Empire. It's been locked down by, I don't remember the name of the court. I do. It's in my notes. Sky, uh, Skysworn. That's right, the Sky Sworn. The Sky Sworn locked it down because it's too powerful and they don't want to... Well, the course itself is not powerful, but the fact that the course trains Black Flame uh, recruits is the issue because Black Flame dragons, originally, used to roam and rule the entire world. They don't anymore, partly because they went mad. So the fact that Ethan spends money and spins it back up draws unneeded attention over to his chunk of land in the world. But Lyndon's going to get strong enough in the course of a year. So, and this is not the only plot line we follow in the first half of the book. We also dive back into the Jai Clan. Uh, do you want to give us a quick rundown of like what the Jai Clan's doing for the first half of the book? Jai Long and Gokren who is the underlord of the Sand Vipers, wage a guerrilla war against the Jai clan. Now, Jai Long's doing it because he's been banished, exiled, nobody wants to help his sister, they've kind of treated him poorly, so he's like, all right, if you all, you're all going to die. And Gokren is helping Jai Long because eventually Jai Long will kill Linden, at least in Gokren's mind, mm-hmm. for killing his son, yeah. Jai crawl and so they attack 
the Jai clan together. And eventually, they meet the underlord of the Jai clan, who's more powerful than both of them. And Jai Long reconciles. First, because, you know, now he's met somebody who can blink and make him, you know, not see anything ever again. He will sleep with his fathers. And the underlord also tells Jai Long that, hey, you become my replacement because I got a few years to live. He's very sick and will care for your sister. And you should probably kill Gokran. And Jai Long says, all right, well, this guy's put a lot on his line. So he makes him swear that he'll never repeat this conversation that the underlord of the Jai clan is making his own moves. And then we'll talk about this in the next book. They eventually move against Ethan. Stay tuned for that discussion. That's right. While that's going on, we jump back to Lyndon and Yaron, who are in the middle of, well, they're not in the middle. They're in the, the Black Flame Trials with Orthos, although Orthos isn't really seen because the Black Flame Trials are basically like the Grand Canyon. Like, there's an area to do each segment, but Orthos is a dragon that's gone mad, and so he's just literally wandering around eating rocks because that's what Orthos does. <laughs> and, Orthos uh, and his rocks. That's right, and tree branches, and he just eats things, which is great. One line that's seemingly a throwaway line from the second part of the book is Lyndon and Orthos go to a place, and they go into a house, and because Orthos is a big-ass turtle, he's just walking around knocking things over and breaking yes. walls and eating chairs. And he's yes. like, what are you doing, dude? You're in somebody's house. Calm down for a second. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Orthos is basically a big dog, except he's a dragon, which is yeah. basically worse. The final note in this plot summary for the first half is that after tireless attempts from Lyndon and Yaron, they finish the first Black Flame trial. Now, that's the dragon advances. And who pops in but the one and only Ethan, who lets them know that if they finish all three, he'll give them each custom gifts. For Lyndon, he's going to give him black flames that'll help him get to low gold. And for Yaren, he'll give her a pill so that she can advance to high gold without having to crack open her master's remnant. So, more enticing things. Right. And a note on that, for those who haven't read it, she has her master's remnant. She has this uninvited guest. And both are kind of weighing on her spirit, right? Yeah. So, the way to advance for her... And the way to relieve the pressure that her master's remnant has is to crack it open, absorb it, and move forward. Mm-hmm. But then she feels she'll lose his voice. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil it because we'll come back to it in the second episode. But it's important to this point. She eventually realizes that her master will always would be with her, and hearing his voice in this manner is not helpful. Another thing is, Ethan knows what's going on. If you recall from book two, he's got this rundown called, like, The Thousand Eyes. And he hears and sees everything. Um, And this will be a running joke that we'll see throughout where it's like, people will be having a private conversation. I think it even happened at the beginning with Fisher Gesha, who is following the group. And she's like, yeah. And, uh... (laughs) Yes. Um, So... 
he hears and sees everything. And he's like, now is the time where I come in and I'm surprised to find you here talking about something. And in the bloopers, and we'll get to it, that, was, that particular scene, the blooper is especially funny. I, I chortled on the bus. Mm-hmm. People probably looked at me a little funny. I love listening to books and then just start. you just start laughing and no one's sure what's going on. One final note on the plot is things that Lyndon knows, not Lyndon, things that Ethan knows that are going on, which is why he gives Lyndon and Yaren the, hey, here's another incentive because we kind of only get one shot at this. But he doesn't tell them that because that's extra pressure. He wants to dangle the carrot and then give them the carrot because it's to his benefit. Um, like like he said at the end of book two, he's like, I want to go to the end. Sacred the arts. End. Sacred arts. Thank you. I was going to say martial path and I was, that's like that. That's not right. But he also knows that there's something moving. He doesn't know what with the Jai clan uh, as they start to, well, that's really the second half. But um, he has this, oh, this is a really interesting thing. The Black Flame Empire is ranked, hmm. right? So the so the Black Flame Empire, everybody has a number and where they fall in power level. I didn't know that. It happens in book three. Book? Yeah, 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 yeah. Cassius is, so when they get, all right, we'll discuss this in the next section, but each servant has a number. Oh, that's each, right, yep. Each person has a number, and that's their ranking in the entire Black Flame Empire. Which will okay, become now, relevant. Now, now, now that you said that, I picked it up. I just never yeah. put everything together in my head. But now, now it's making sense. Yeah. And so Cassius, who's number two in the Black Flame Empire, is concerned about what Athan's doing because he is the actual son of the person entrusted with the Black Flame Empire, even though Athan's the current ruling head of the Black Flame Empire. Because he knows that this trial used to be for five students. Was it five? Four? Five. Five. And he's like, what are you doing to these kids? So there's some tension there, too. So Ethan is pulling the strings to get things done that he deems to be correct, based on his thousand eyes technique. And uh, we'll see if it pans out. One thing that Will White does that's great is he doesn't pull any punches, pun intended. He lets his characters suffer when something really goes wrong. So excited about what's going to happen. Yeah. Cassius really is worried for Lyndon and Yaren. He even pleads with Ethan and this kind of almost hopeless voice. He's like, what have these two done to offend you that you are torturing them like this? Yeah. Because he thinks Ethan is just being a complete bastard to them. And they're like, he's like, oh, they haven't offended me. I love them. They're the best thing ever. They're, they're, <laughs> they're, I've adopted them. That's why they need to do this and not die. <laughs> <laughs> And Cassie's just like shakes his head like, I, I should have been number one. And his like walks away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, not even number one, uh, but ruling the empire because those are yeah. uh, different. But Ethan could be number one. We don't know. Well, we'll find out in the second half of the book. Now let's dive into your notes and observations from the first half here, Slava. Well, I really like the line. And I already mentioned this line is, Yaren looked like she was raised in a never-ending knife fight. Really captures Yaren's outlook and her attitude, and the way she approaches everything. Everything's a knife fight to her. And it has a lot of good comes out of it because she's like that. And also, I'm sure we'll see, she probably needs to learn to curb that enthusiasm, right? I thought that line encapsulates everything that is Yaren. I still find Ethan intriguing. He is just a character that never fails to surprise you, right? Whether you're the reader or the in-world character that has to deal with his shenanigans. Which is ironic because he 
is not surprised by anything. When he's talking to Fisher Gesha, and uh, she, he's like, all right, I heard that. Off to the blood pits with you. And, <laughs> and then everybody's like, oh, okay, I guess we're killing her. And then she's like freaking out. And he's like, I guess people just don't understand humor anymore. Yeah. You're kind of a psychopath, so everybody thinks you are going to kill Fisher Gesher for no reason. So <laughs> I like Ethan. Um, I like Ethan. Jai Long is kind of becoming likable in the first half of this book. Maybe somebody in the audience will think that's a strange thing to say. But I kind of like a revenge caper. So in a very minuscule, microcosm sort of way, I thought, all right, I'll stick with Jai Long for a while as he unleashes vengeful fury on his clan. Not that I'm necessarily rooting for him, but I thought I was like, okay, I can get behind this. This is a, like a likable quality where he's like, I'm going to take revenge on what happened to me and my sister. I can get behind that portion of his, uh, whatever he's doing. There was an interesting part for me in chapter six where the, the Lyndon, I think, is discussing that there's a possibility to go past Underlord. Because Lyndon is always trying to figure out the best way to advance, and sometimes he wants to avoid problems, so it's the easiest way to advance. So between 6 and 8, and a little bit into chapter 9, he's being a big old bitch, and he's he's <laughs> annoying me. But at the same time, so he's, as he's processing all this stuff, he realizes that there might be something past Underlord, something past Athan. Yeah, he... There, there's more to come. I mean, there's 12 books, right? We're on book three. Yeah. And there's certainly more in the world of Cradle that is why everyone loves it so much. And I think it's got more of a slow burn because I think people who like Dragon Ball Z haven't discovered that this exists. Also, people who like Dragon Ball Z and anime in general don't necessarily read read like this. So that's like partly why they haven't discovered it but anyone who starts diving into it it's like these books move fast they're not long books 22 chapters that's like a a a kid's chapter book you know and for those who think jonathan just said a contradiction that slow burn and move fast think of breaking bad that's a slow burn type of show and yet in what five seasons five to six seasons a lot happens. Every episode, you know, whether it takes place in a two-hour time frame or a week time frame or a month time frame, each episode is jam-packed with stuff. And yet, there's this slow burn element to it. Just like Death Note. Death Note has a slow burn element to it, too, I would argue. And yet, in 32 episodes, a whole crap ton happens. I think it's five years past 32 episodes. Yeah. And... Light Yagami does a lot of uh, stuff. Does a lot of damage. A lot is unpacked in 32 episodes. I want to read a couple of my favorite lines from Athan in Black Flame because they're just very Athan. I have many plans and many ideas, but I've long believed that it's better for someone to choose their own direction and then accept guidance than to be pushed where I want them to go. If I recall, this is exactly when he's showing. Linden the different paths and he's like if if you wanted me to pick this one why don't you just tell me he's like well I've got a lot of plans yep. but it's and and anyone who is good at social engineering understands like you want to give people options 
but you purposefully frame the options the way that you want them to. Uh, you frame them in a way where you have them pick the one you want them to pick. So it's not really an option. Anyway, that's uh, that's just a little note. If you've never done that before, that's a really great way to do things uh, to get your way. But your way better pan out because if people get wind that your theme is you try and pick things for them and they don't work out, then you're kind of SOL. Another quote that I really liked was, I don't expect you to understand this, but seeing everything makes surprises so much worse. You always feel as though you should have seen them coming. This is foreshadowing, but it's a fun foreshadowing because if you do have a character who's like got the thousand eyes technique where he does see and hear everything by sending wisps of Madra around, when surprises happen, they are so much worse because they're not small surprises. They're big surprises. Because you miss the big things while you're listening to all the little things going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another fun thing at the end of this like first half, we meet Little Blue. Little Blue. Which Ethan uh, pops in, cracks Lyndon's bag open, feeds Little Blue a uh, pure Madra scale, and then she starts to grow. So what is she? Who is she? What's going to happen there? What do you think? Well, she is, reminds me of that spirit from The Way of Kings, the, Sill. Yeah, you're not the only one. Everyone has me, said that. She reminds me of Sill, and the origins of Sill and her are similar, although it's different worlds, obviously, and different authors. And she seems to be bound to Lyndon, and that that binding is good for Lyndon because she can help him with the Black Flame, Madra cleansing mm-hmm. things. A lot of people made the comparison like, huh, blue figure, spirit-like, sounds like Syl. And and it's like, I mean, maybe maybe it does, but Little Blue is a is also a different character, even if it's, you know, a direct uh homage to, you know, the Cosmere. Like people who yeah. like the Cosmere usually like Cradle. So I don't know where she's going. I'm I'm just along for the ride with Little Blue. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's gonna be fun, I tell you that. Um also they're not they're not um she's not bound to uh, Lyndon, the way that uh, Syl is bound to Kaladin. So I'll just leave that there right now. They're not okay. bound together. He picked her up on at the Heaven's Glory School in that right, little right. terrarium. Let me explain what I mean. Now that he's picked her up and he's feeding her and she's kind of imprinted herself on him the way maybe a dog would on an owner. She's a free agent. She could leave if she wanted to. Really? Yeah. We'll okay. see, yeah, we'll see more about that later. Um, book 10? Maybe. Anyway. So, yeah. She's a free agent. She doesn't have to stick around. She doesn't want to. Well, she sticks around for ten books. Mm, that's your little treat, everyone. A uh, couple last things before I have a question that I want Slava to unpack. I really liked the I really liked the tension and relationship between Cassius and Ethan. And we'll discuss more about Cassius in the next half of this book because stuff happens with him. I like the tension there because it's like, okay, the prince of the kingdom is having qualms with the ruling stand-in monarch, the steward of the kingdom, because they're out and about doing whatever on behalf of the kingdom, and they just have tension and drama, and it unfolds in interesting ways. I mentioned this a little earlier, but uh, I really like that the Black Flame Empire is organized entirely by rank number. I just think it's a fun method. I don't think that's how people should actually do it, but in a book, it's kind of good. So, 
those are my thoughts and observations, notes and observations. But Slava mentioned something to me before we started recording on how he felt the first half of the book was, and you said it felt slow. And then you had a really interesting response to that. Let's let's unpack that a little bit. Let's do it. So I was talking to Jonathan before we hit record, and he asked me what I thought of the book overall. And I liked it, but the first half felt slow. And by slow, I mean I was expecting something to happen besides Ethan and his eccentricities, you know, walking around and Cassius with his doubts about Lyndon and mm-hmm. Lyndon having to train and Yaren being Yaren. And it was your typical Lyndon, Yaren, Ethan that we've come to love and enjoy from book two. And I was like, all right, what's next? Something has to happen. We jumped to Jai Long's storyline and he's murdering people left and right. And that seems to be going the way I expect it to go. And once we get to chapter, I think, like 14, it, for me, picked up. 14, 15. But what Jonathan is getting at, as I was explaining this to him, I said, maybe it was me. Maybe my expectation was what dampered a little bit of my enjoyment because I was expecting something to happen. But in fact in the course of things as they are happening within the world that Will White created, they're going at a normal pace. It's not that all of a sudden Will White started writing poorly and then picked up again in chapter 14. Yeah, and so then I asked Slava, literally like as I'm hitting record, I said, well, what's the? how do you know the difference? Like how do you ask yourself, is it me or is it the book? Right, because we've all read slow books. I, I'm sure I've complained about books before. One of them is... The Wandering In, first book's garbage, couldn't get through it. Met a guy who's read the full series. He says it's phenomenal, and I just can't get past book one because the character's whining, and it so feels so slow. So when is it the book, and when is it you? And then you responded. Self-critique and experience. If you are mature enough, you have enough emotional intelligence to be like, hey, maybe it's me. Like, let me give this a chance. And the second part of it, and they have to be combined to for this to work well, is you have to be a reader. If you have read enough books by enough authors in enough different genres, you can compare and contrast and say, objectively, this is good based on what I know and based on what I've read from other people, from experts about literature, based on a myriad of things that I've been exposed to in the world of literature, I can say this is a garbage book. Now, sometimes that's just subjective because another person exposed to the same myriad of information will say, nah, I kind of like this. I I can see your point. I kind of like this. Or you're totally wrong, Jonathan. This is amazing. So there's a subjective part of it. And there's the objective part of it where this is how progression fantasy works. And Will White has proven himself to be a good writer. He does well with characters. He does well with pacing. So maybe, Slava, you're just expecting something to happen. Or, I don't know, maybe you're thinking about the conference that you have to plan, mm-hmm. and you are just anxious about that, and that's projecting onto what you're reading. I think that's a fair self-assessment, and it's something that we should ask ourselves pretty regularly, like, am I being unreasonable on my expectation, or is it an honest critique, right? That goes for all things, not just books that we read and stuff like that, but you need data. You need data. You need data sets. You need data points, one of which you said is, like, you got to read you got to read a bunch of other books because if you the second time you read Cradle through, you're like, wow, this book series is so fast. It's like 
22, 22 chapters and you're like done with a book. And so then people, like I'm talking about with Spencer, I'm talking about with you, and it's like, oh yeah, this happened. Oh wait, that wasn't book five, that was book four. Or it's like, oh, that wasn't book three, that was book four. Because it just like, it blends together so much that there's no hard stop because it's just like, go, 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 go. But yep. you don't see that until you get more of the story. And so to me, really the only two slow books are book one and book two. Because it really hmm. blossoms into, you're in like much more of the world. It's like you grow up in Podunk, North Dakota, and you got farmland and cows. That's book one. Then you go to like another town over in North Dakota where it's got internet and, you know, a subway. And you're like, whoa, this place is crazy. And they see like big trucks come in. There's a truck stop, right? And then you get taken over to the Black Flame Empire, which is Minnesota. And it's like, oh, wow, there's like real cities and, and people. And what is going on here? And it's you're in like uh, St. Paul's. Minnesota or Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yeah, St. Paul, Minneapolis. Yep, <laughs> yeah. it's all around. And it's just like, okay, so you're getting, you're expanding, but you don't know that yet because you're like in the book. But that's kind of the context where you're like super small, a little bit bigger because you went a town over and then like, oh, you've kind of moved states. And then even further, we'll get to experience more of it. And don't forget, and she hasn't really shown up a lot in this, but serial happened in book one where this like angelic being came down and gave Lyndon a vision. So there's still more to be discovered. And I am excited by all of that. You want to do uh, a theme question and then we'll uh, we'll call it a wrap? I wanted to follow up with something that I mentioned in the overview. And we can kind of discuss some of the themes as we've done with other books. And I think it'll be a lot easier to do it in this book because it's right there. This is where Will pulls the inspiration for the world from. So Zianzia, remember that? Immortal heroes and Wuzia, martial heroes. So Zianzia heavily focuses on spiritual growth, mastery of superpowers. There's a pursuit of eternal existence. The fate is a big theme. Reincarnations, multiple realms of reality. And interaction with legendary creatures and spirits, and we see that happening throughout the book already, throughout the series, right? And then Wuzia, by contrast to that, is grounded in the human world with very few supernatural elements, and mostly emphasizes martial arts, personal vendetta, treasure hunting, justice, radical politics, apparently, in the definitions I found, and power struggles, right? So I think more than Zanzia, Wuzia is where Cradle sits, right? In the in the terms of genres or philosophies of, you know, the world, right? You don't get multiple realms of reality or interaction with spirits necessarily. You kind of do with Serial and Silp 2.0, but uh, <laughs> they're there, but they're not in your face, right? Yeah. What do you say to that? I think that that's a fair categorization. Okay. And I'm assuming we'll see, uh, I have confidence that we'll see all these things that I just mentioned, pursuit of power, power struggles, and martial arts improvement. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Going to the end of the sacred arts. Zanzia 
one of its focuses, foci, is mastery of superpowers. I think what we get with Cradle so far is mastery of self and mastery of martial arts powers, mm-hmm. which kind of are super. Yes. Not kind of. I think they are it's super. the magic system in the world, right? Right, 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 right. I think for the next episode that we do on Black Flame and for the next books, I'm sure I will do a quick overview and review these in brief mm-hmm. for all the books that we do because that's good for the audience. But for those of you who will stick through all of our discussions of Cradle, that's the themes. I don't think we need to revisit it every time. This is not like a standalone book where there's a theme that we pulled out like we've done with others. Mm-hmm. Mastery of superpowers, mastery of self, pursuit of justice, vendettas, treasure hunting, power struggles. That's going to be the themes of the Cradle series. Yes. The dragon advances. That it does. All right. Well, that is episode one of Black Flame. The questions that we are left with, will Lyndon and Yaren finish the Black Flame trial before the Jai Clan attacks? Will Aethan step in and prevent the Jai Clan from ravaging his family's lands? Will Lyndon be able to learn a path quick enough to be able to defeat Jai Long? Yeah, hey, before you go on, we didn't set it up for the audience. The Jai Clan reconciled with Jai Long and Gokran now are going to attack Athan's family. So yeah, I'm excited to see where that goes. Yeah, they're doing that to dethrone the Black Flame Empire because they are also ranked, not just the Black Flame Empire internally, but externally as well. There's rankings in this uh in this world of power structure. Yeah. Exciting stuff. Exciting stuff. I can't wait for next week. Well, all right, Jonathan, why don't you take us out? Check back next time to find out what happens to Lyndon, Yaren, Orthos, and Ethan, and Little Blue in Black Flame on the next episode. And be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss out on a side quest.